Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to this Wednesday episode of Live Mike. I am Lee Lonsberry. A truncated episode of today's program. Why is that? Well... Uh, the men of the Brigham Young University basketball team are playing St. John's in day two of the Legends Classic. Pre-game coverage starts right here on KSL News Radio at two o'clock. Tip-off of the game starts at three o'clock. We'll bring you uh, all the coverage of that game, plus some coverage afterwards. It's going to be a great afternoon for uh, men's basketball at Brigham Young University. Fingers crossed that we don't have a repeat of yesterday. Uh, let's get a W here today, okay? Uh, and with that said, let's get right into what I want to talk with you today about, especially kicking off the program. A little disappointed, a, a little disappointed, I have to be honest, in that here in the United States, we weren't the first country to secure uh, approval to start use of the COVID-19 vaccine. That's right. That's right. Uh, the UK, they got that approval first. And absolutely fascinating. They're, things are about to change over there. About 800,000 doses, I, I believe, is what will be immediately made available as soon as distribution commences, which is uh, slated to happen in just the next few days. In just the next few days. And regardless of where on the planet it's taking place, it is a remarkable, a remarkable testament to our ability, our uh, as humanity's ability to face a problem, come up with a solution, and execute that plan. I know it feels like it has been a long, long time, and it has, right? I'm so sick and tired of COVID. Can we talk about something else someday? Well, soon. While it feels like forever, it has only been less than one calendar year. Yeah, these uh, pharmaceutical companies that now are working to gain approval globally to roll out their vaccines, the vaccines that are expected to arrive here in Utah in just a few short weeks, they only started their work on this in March. And I'm no epidemiologist. I'm certainly no historian when it comes to science and medicine. I have picked up a few things over this past year. And the one thing that I have certainly picked up is that at no time in history has a vaccine been developed at this rate. And certainly not a vaccine which is able to boast of an efficacy rate uh, in the uh, middle 90s, like is the case with the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. I uh, also have to throw in the name BioNTech. you got to remember that one, too. That's the company that teamed up with Pfizer, a German company founded not that many years ago by a husband and wife pair of scientists, doctors themselves. Uh, fascinating story there. We've gone over it here on the program. I don't have time to go back through it again, but if you have a, a moment, if you uh, lying in bed tonight or having trouble sleeping and you're looking for a rabbit hole down which to tumble, uh, look into the founding of BioNTech. Uh, BioNTech, a fascinating company, fascinating story there. Uh, anyway, one of the developments to come here in the United States on the COVID-19 vaccine front was uh, the revelation of yesterday, which uh, included 
a decision, a vote rather, by an independent body which advises the uh, CDC, an advisory committee on immunization practices. That's the name of the panel. There were uh, hours of presentations made yesterday to the panel and ultimately a vote, a vote which was uh, in the end 13 to 1 to recommend that the first uh, the first doses go to the first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, which are on their way, on their way. Man, it feels good to say that. that they'll go to, of course, uh, health care workers, those uh, high-risk health care workers who find themselves dealing directly with COVID-19 patients, and also long-term care facility residents and employees, those folks in nursing homes and similar facilities. 13 to 1 was the vote. And now the CDC, first off, the CDC is not beholden to the votes of this advisory committee, advisory committee. They have a voice, but not a vote. Uh, That's something when you hear about these advisory committees, it's always important to understand the nature of their authority. The authority in this case, when it comes to these recommendations, healthcare workers first, along with those residents and employees of long-term care facilities, ultimately those recommendations will uh, come from the director of the CDC, a gentleman you, you've come to know, Dr. Robert Redfield. He's the gentleman with the unique beard. Uh, I, I think they, I think they call it a neck beard. He has a neck beard. Uh, Anyway, he will make that decision, expected to decide uh, by the end of today whether or not the CDC will accept uh, as the agency's formal guidance uh, to states what was recommended by the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Again, that vote 13 to 1. I am always I am always curious about the dissenting votes. When the Supreme Court hands down decisions, uh, I am very eager to read what those who find themselves in the minority thought. Uh, Examining uh, the viewpoint of the opposition uh, often, at least in my experience, helps to bolster the uh, bolster the the claims of the majority and helps understand kind of where everyone is coming from. Anyway, I'm rambling now, but what I am telling you is that uh, someone someone felt differently about these the recommendations. Someone felt that the prioritization recommendations handed to CDC Director Robert Redfield were inappropriate or at least worthy of voting against. Now, I don't know who cast that vote, and I don't know the rationale behind it. Uh, But I do know, (laughs) I do know that we here in Utah, in short order, will be on the receiving end of some vaccines. Uh, This morning on Dave and Dejanovic's program, Rich Lakin, uh, a name you've come to know certainly, he, the immunization program manager for the Utah Department of Health, he joined Dave and Dejanovic this morning, and they talked much about what it means for us here in Utah uh, when it, you know, when we look at and consider the potential recommendations to come from the CDC. There are some excerpts from that conversation I want to play for you. I don't have time right now, uh, but uh, but later on in the program, I'm going to share with you uh, how many doses are on their way, uh, who should be getting this uh, vaccine here in the state, how it will be rolled out, and then also a fascinating question I have uh, had myself for some time. Should people who have already had COVID-19, those who have been tested and come back positive for COVID-19, do they need a vaccine? We'll find out later. Uh, First, though, quick break and back with the CEO and president of Utah Food Bank. There's some real need here in the state. How extreme is it and how can you help? We'll find out next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. 
two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.